So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to divide the teaching up over the day so it's not a whole load at once. Um, so I think I'll, I'll speak a little bit more now um, before we meditate some more. Um, let's uh, pick up a little bit where we left off. So inner critic is quite familiar territory and maybe even some, at least some of what I suggested earlier would be, as a possibility, would, would be familiar to some of you. And that way of sort of engaging in a dialogue with a person or figure in the psyche is somewhat familiar for some of you. Um, but I say, let's take it, let's take it, uh, explore further possibilities. So, uh, still with the inner critic, in fact, um, <coughs> this is some years ago now, um, uh, a man was also on retreat at Guy House and um, came in and said, was again reporting inner critic. And he says, it's like, the, the voice just says, you, you, it, whatever I do, I'm never good enough. Uh, and there's always this judging. This is the usual stuff. He was quite used to it. Uh, and so we talked about different possibilities. And the possibility of exploring, uh, exploring it, turning towards it, and engaging in relationship with this figure. Um, and what, So he went away and did that, and came back and reported that... Um, images of his parents came up. Uh, but then he said, actually, if I'm really honest, they look like my parents, but they're not my parents. And he said, my parents were much kinder than that. Uh, now, again, we're not talking about denial. This person had you know, worked through stuff with their childhood, etc. Um, these are, if you, if you like to say, the realities of the psyche these images, or realities of the psychic realities, so to speak, at least in what I'm presenting today, we want to be very careful not to literalize. They look like that. They are not my parents in this case. So I'll say more about this non-literalizing and non-reducing. They are this. So not literalizing, not reducing, but actually engaging them as if they were people, as if they were persons with, with uh, all that involves. And coupled with that, in, in, in the practice, and using his sensitivity, we talked about it, using his sensitivity to the emotional responses that were coming up for him in relationship to them as he meditated in this way. And they, I mean, there were mostly things like, I'm fed up with this and I'm angry in, in response to it. Working this way, with the, with the sense of respect, not literalizing, not reducing, sensitivity to the emotionality, what happened is these two figures opened up. It's like they split and became a whole cast of characters. A whole uh, what's the word? pantheon. Um, a whole host of persons opened up. And I can't remember, and he, he sort of gave them all different uh, names, if you like, and times, but I, all I remember is a few of them. And there was the, the good boy. Um, I think he had a naughty boy. He had a frightened boy. Um, he had a hero figure, and he had... Uh, a bad guy who, interestingly, he uh, first at thought, thought at first was evil. So this is evil. And, uh, but then he said, actually, looking again, no, no, it's not evil. It's more, um, and this is really important, it's more like an actor in a theater. It's more like a style of existence. It's a style of personifying. It's not actually evil. That's quite important. Because sometimes, the reason I'm mentioning that is sometimes with this kind of work, uh, 
a person worries about things like evil, I get, I'll talk more about this afternoon. So two things are really helpful. Uh, two two uh, aspects. One is mindfulness. Mindfulness with an image. So what is it to engage an image mindfully? I'm aware. I'm aware of all the responses and, and all the feelings. So I, I'm aware. And secondly, seeing it as an image. This is an image, so it has a more poetic quality rather than a literal quality. I'm uh, aware that this is, uh, if you like, expressing something <coughs> yeah, as a poetic truth more than a literal truth. So mindfulness with the image and seeing image as image, both of those create a kind of safety when there can be sometimes some worry with this kind of area. But more than that, they do something really interesting. Seeing an image as image and mindfulness with the image, they empower these images, these persons of the psyche, in certain ways. They give them power and life. They vivify them. And they, at the same time, disempower them, so that we're not in danger of them uh, being acted out unconsciously. So there's an empowerment. At the same time, there's a kind of disempowerment. All that's coming through is the mindfulness and, and the awareness. This is image, it's poetry, it's not literal. Yeah? Now, what he found, as um, he did this over, over a few, uh, a little time, and what he found, and I, I would say what almost I would expect people to find, and a few things. The more persons there were in this inner theater, if you want to call it that, the more persons there were, and the more alive they became, the less the inner critic. More persons, less in the critic. There was a direct correspondence. What seemed like one oppressive thing then became two, then became many, and the whole sense of oppression just went out, out of the whole, the whole dynamic. So I would expect that for a start. It's like when the self is singular, conceived as singular, you'll get the inner critic. You'll tend to get the inner critic. You understand? The more we tend to conceive of the self as singular, of course we do in our culture, that tends to constellate something else. The more plural, if you like, and fragmented the self, the less the inquiry. Interesting. So that's one thing. The second thing is, he, he said, and again, this is what I would expect, it's like through doing this, he disidentified from his usual sense of self. So the usual sense of me sort of uh, was not where his identity was, it opened. And he said, looking at all these characters, he said, they're all me and they're all not me. But the usual sense of self was opened out, uh, gone beyond. In the plurality that opened, me was realized to be bigger than I thought, more, more interesting, more dynamic, more fragmented, more plural. So this way of working, what I would expect is one way of, um, if you like, loosening and undermining the belief in this in a solid self. And this is going back right to the beginning, talk about the belief in, in the solid self and how <coughs> Buddhism and other traditions see that as a problem. This belief in a solid self. This is one alternative way of actually loosening and undermining that belief. We could, as alternatives, see the emptiness of this solid self. That's what 
most Buddhism try, tries to teach and to some degrees, and so there's different levels of that. So even seeing the process of the aggregates is a certain way of loosening and undermining the, the solidity itself, to a certain extent. In, in that way, we're kind of deconstructing the solidity itself and just seeing elements and process. So that would be one way of loosening and undermining the, the belief in the solid self. Another way that can open for meditators in these traditions or other traditions is a more kind of mystical dissolution. Meditating different practices or in nature or music or some, something else. The self dissolves. It feels like the self dissolves maybe into a kind of oceanic sense of love, a cosmic sense of love pervading the, the entire universe. The fabric of being is love, or the fabric of being is a kind of oneness there. So these are mystical openings available for people committed to meditation, quite common, actually. Um, So either there's a kind of deconstruction, seeing the emptiness, or there's a kind of mystical dissolution. Those are both probably more standard ways of loosening and undermining the belief in the solid self. But there's also this other way that we're talking about today, this engaging of the psychic characters. All those three are ways of looking, helpful ways of looking. None of them are ultimately true. It's not true that the self is a process of aggregate, and it's not ultimately true that the fabric of things is love. Very, very helpful, uh, a very deep degree of of relative truth, but not the ultimate truth. So none of them are ultimate, ultimate truth. All of them are ways of looking. And he also reported this, this man, also reported that, in his words, he was able then to access um, qualities or energies that were previously inaccessible to him. <coughs> Aspects of being that were previously inaccessible, inaccessible to him, unavailable to him. And again, I would expect that more from this way of working than from the others. Because we're not just deconstructing the self, we're empowering, as I said, vivifying these persons and these figures, these daemons, if you know the word, D-A-E-M-O-N-S. We're empowering them, different than just deconstructing. Okay, so so far we just talked about gone in with the example of the inner critic that most people are familiar with saying oh, you can work in different ways and there's this, uh, this other way of working that's possible but sometimes uh, images come up for people that have nothing to do with the inner critic their origin is not in the inner critic so a woman was on retreat and um, she had this figure of, she called him grandpa, it wasn't her grandpa it wasn't anything like her, either of her grandpas um, but he was in an armchair, a kind of rocking chair, and he would hold her and comfort her, and she would talk to him, and there was a dialogue, and there was care, a mutual flow of love back and forth. This became an enormous resource for her, something she could access in, in the meditation. Okay, so that's all very nice uh, resource that's possible. Another woman, uh, also again on retreat, and uh, quite a different flavor of image uh, possible. So she was practicing, and suddenly, her words, this huge voodoo guy appeared in front of her and plunged his hand into her chest, ripped out her heart, and bit into it, devoured it right there. 
And she said, it was fantastic. <laughs> so what did it show? It was great. Uh, she can't figure it out. What does it mean? Where does it come from? I don't know. It just something about it feels wonderful and right. I don't understand. Uh, quite a dramatic image, or again, quite a dramatic one. A woman was sitting. This is this is years ago now, actually. Many many of you, I just remember it because it's so vivid. Um, she was on, on a long retreat at Guy House and actually struggling quite a lot with the retreat form and loneliness and silence and and and, uh, and that kind of thing. And there was a lot of loneliness, there was a lot of yearning. And she was sitting, I think, in the lounge at Guy House, if you know, in some of those armchairs sort of looking out the window. And she was just sitting there. And suddenly, uh, her words again, uh, a naked golden goddess appeared in front of her and leapt on her uh, and with a very sort of erotic kind of flavor to it and started kissing her. Uh, and that kissing turned into that she was then suckling at the breast of this goddess. And she said it was like drinking nectar, like this deep sense of some kind of divine nourishment was flowing into her being. Uh, this surprised her enormously. She'd never had <laughs> it before. But she kind of went with it. Um, very deep nourishment, then turned into quite profound bliss. Um, and this huge sense of love opened up. And a kind of cosmic love opened up. And yes, it did something to heal the loneliness, definitely did. But even more than that, it opened something in the being. Something for her in her soul, if you like, was open. But even more than that, something for her <coughs> just her vision, her sense, her conceptual framework of what practice is and what she was and what wanted to come through. Something was open in relation to what wanted to come through. So people, as like that uh, gentleman with the inner cricket, have many, many uh, images or characters uh, come. Um, there was a while ago, a few, few years ago, in fact, I used to get this dragon, this very uh, intense, um, seemingly violent sort of dragon. And I actually realized it's not violent. It, it had this, you know, breathing fire and swooping around. And everything. What's this? What does it want? Uh, what, what's its quality? Uh, but actually, it was more voracious. It wasn't really aggressive. It was like, what does it want? What is this? Um, or again, if I just share for me, I still get um, uh, this character who's a soldier. And it's like his duty is to do battle. He's, he, he does battle endlessly. And he's uh, often solitary, fighting or preparing to fight or resting from fighting. Or another figure who's a wanderer, again, quite solitary, just always wandering, often in the desert, often solitary. Maybe he's joined temporarily or meets some people. Where is he going? He's not really going anywhere. He's wandering. He's an outcast. He's on the edge. And this is something that, again, you can't quite put it into a box. It's not a particularly outlandish image, like a golden goddess or whatever. Um, but there's something that feels necessary, something resonates in the being. It feels important somehow that I can't quite, one can't quite put it in a box or put one's finger on it. And it's not necessarily that dramatic, it's not necessarily uh, that outlandish, but it seems deeply resonant. There's a deep resonance to it that I can't quite sum up and deeply important to the being. Now, I know almost definitely some people will be listening well I don't get any images I'm not I'm not that type I'm not uh, this is actually quite important like we could say a lot about that why that is and what to do in response to it but just to say um, 
what I really want to do is open up that sense of what I mean when I say the word image, and I'm also still hunting for a better word, but I don't necessarily mean something visual. So another one was actually uh, walking near a guy house in the lanes and actually just felt her body as if as if the body of a mountain lion. It, it, it was visceral. So some people hear, some people see, some people it's visceral. The sense was, I have become a mountain lion. And she saw these two little uh, women walking two little dogs and this mountain lion just wanted to rip apart the dogs. There wasn't anything <laughs> unkind in that. It's just the nature of a mountain lion. Uh, but even more than that, so they could be, um, another woman uh, had a postcard of, you know Michelangelo's statue, the Pietà, that the, the Jesus draped uh, down from the cross, dead in, in the arms of the Mother Mary, so it's a phenomenal st- uh, sculpture. So she had, a, she had that, and she used to meditate on it, and of course there's compassion there, and she wasn't Christian, but she wasn't Christian. But there's something for her embodied, in this case, in, in an artistic image, that spoke deeply to the soul. So it's visible that way in, in art, of course. But actually, even more than that, we are um, surrounded by images. Our life is, again, saturated by images, and we don't often realize it, or we don't often think that way. So this tradition, that, that sort of is, I think, my root tradition, the um, insight meditation tradition, a lot of that was born, or one of the major influxes into that was from the Thai forest tradition, some of you will know that. And if you listen to, I mean, the, not the Westerners, but the actual Thai Ajans, the teachers, so most of them are dead now. In fact, all of them are dead now. But that's quite recent. When you listen to them talk, or you, you hear transcriptions of them talk, they talk very, very differently than we talk. They use the language of war and battle, and they embody the warrior. They're, me- they're doing battle with the defilements of greed, hatred, delusion. We can't so easily in the West use that language. It doesn't work for us, and people uh, react to it. But the archetype, what wants to come through, what they are expressing in their being, and in their rhetoric, and in their language, and their teaching, is warrior, soldier. And it has a nobility to it, it has a beauty to it. And a lot of people responded to it, and it gave birth to this you know, wonderful tradition. Or someone like Nelson Mandela. And again, this is interesting, because for me, uh, he's someone who you know, exists in my psyche as something very beautiful. I can't put him in a box, but he speaks to me. His life, his dedication, his sacrifice, his single-mindedness, his purity of spirit. So he is an image for me. Now, he's also a real person. I've read his biography. You can deconstruct that and say, well, he made a lot of political mistakes. He wasn't able to do that. Of course we can do that. But the fact is that for the psyche, he's still alive and resonant as an image for me. There are probably people in this room right now that that's also true for. When he died, I, I cried. You know, there are probably people in this room who that is not true for. So the, the imagistic sense of him, in this case, Nelson Mandela, is, is somewhere in between the object and the subject. Do you understand? It's not either completely there or completely here. It's something that arises in that. But I think if I do Einstein, for me, is another classic example uh, for many people. He embodies something. And again, for me, speaks uh, very deeply to me, that, that kind of Niels Bohr, these, these kind of people. Something about them, what they it expressed in their life, what was running through the life, speaks from one soul to the other and ignites something and has a beauty to it and necessity and a sort of something to be honoured and, and respected and, and uh, even uh, 
felt as holy in some sense. But again, that might not be for everyone. It almost certainly is not for everyone. You just think, wait, well, the kind of absent-minded nincompoop with a very big brain. So it just completely flattens the sense of it, and that's fine. Uh, again, if I share just personally, Jimi Hendrix, when I was much younger, um, really alive to me as something is coming through there, some kind of, uh, I don't know what to call it, demonic force, angelic force. I think he was aware of it, because I remember seeing this clip uh, before he went on stage, on a big thing, some outdoor festival, and the guy comes up to him and says, well, how should I introduce you? And he, and he just says, I'll tell him the big blue angel is coming. And he had this sense of, and it's not just show business, something, he had this sense of something, or other people, Dylan or something, dressed all white paint and this crazy hat, and he's playing the joker, the trickster. And it's a game, but he knows something's coming through too. And some people resonate with it. And it's not just a silly guy on stage doing silly stuff. There's something else going on, another level. So, see it in meditation, or spontaneously as images, feel it as images, see it in art, see them in art, feel them in art, see them in others, exist for us as psychic images, real persons existing as images for the soul of the psychic. And also see it in our own life, my own life, your own life, as image, and what's wanting to come through, and what is being expressed, and who is expressing. Who is my life expressing? Not just me. Some of these, either that we see outside or that we feel a sense come through, do not fit in to a nice uh, sort of image of what we imagine Buddhist dharma should be. They do not fit. The Hendrix, the wild thing, does not fit. Just the, Even the naked goddess doesn't really fit, certainly in the inside meditation tradition. We don't really go for a naked erotic goddesses, generally speaking. And then what can happen? Then very easily we judge either someone outside or we judge this that's wanting to come through. It doesn't fit in the box. There's a problem. Uh, so I know a woman I've known her, not, not very well, but I know her uh, actually quite well, but I, I know her over some years. And um, she cannot stop partying. She thinks she should because she's a Buddhist and she meditates. And <laughs> Why can you not stop partying? Now we could judge that, get it together. Or is it something else wants to come through? We talk classic, it's the Dionysian God, the God Dionysus wants to come through. It's different, it will not fit. I'll tell you a story. Um, a few years ago, uh, on a long retreat at Guy House, um, I was working with, with a woman in her early 50s. And she, we had built up quite a lot of trust uh, through working. She said, I want to tell you something. Um, and she said, when she was in her, I think it was late teens, 18 or 19 or something, like 30, 30, more than 30 years ago, she said, I was traveling with a friend in Spain, a girlfriend in Spain, and we ran out of money, and then we didn't know what to do. And so we decided we would uh, sleep with men for sex. And we I'm just going to do this once to get the money. And so they did it, but then they continued doing it. And then they were in Spain for actually, I think, some months, uh, living in this way. And, she said, and there was so much uh, shame for her, and she, she was telling me this, this is decades later, this, this uh, thread of shame had, had run through her life back, back from that period. And I was listening, and I'm listening, she's telling me a story, and, and she's telling me, and as she's speaking, I heard in the back of my, sacred prostitute. 
And I thought, I cannot say that. I can't say that. Um, but it was honestly what was coming for me. And I did say it in the end. And she completely resonated with it. Now, me saying it, it wasn't me thinking, nah, how can I make her feel better? How can I put a different spin on this? Because I could have said lots of other stuff. I could have talked about conditions or this or that. Lots of uh, more, more conventional ways of putting a perspective on it that would release them <coughs> suffering. But I, I actually decided to make it. And she, she completely resonated with it. What was going on back then, and the key word there is sacred. Okay, what was going on back then... Um, when she was young was that she wasn't conscious of that. She was young. She didn't know how to handle this thing that wanted to express through her uh, the, 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 the beauty of it, the grandeur of it, actually, the depth of it. Um, she didn't know how to handle it. She also, and this is really key, she did not realize um, that images that come up or images that are alive for us um, in this kind of way, do not necessarily need to be taken literally and acted out literally. Some do, or in some way, or in some very subtle form, and some don't. Now I'm going to return to that this afternoon. She didn't realize that. So many possibilities here. What images and what fantasies that word usually has a negative connotation in insight meditation circles. I want to give it a positive connotation, a connotation of depth and beauty and necessity and resonance. What images and what fantasies speak to me, speak to me, call me, give me a sense of meaningfulness, resonance, poetry? And what images and fantasies run through my life, many push and pull and direct me in my life? impel me, draw me on, galvanize me, drive me? Big question. Okay? So it's not just meditative images. There's some, even if I don't get any images like that at all, again, I could talk all about why that. Anyway. Um, there's another level here. What, what's running through my life? But in terms of practice, uh, there are many possibilities. I so said we're not going to do too much practice, but I'll just throw a few things out. Um, mindfulness. What is it to bring mindfulness to this whole area? And if there is a sense of some figure or an image or something, or even external image, like Einstein or Mandela or whoever it is, what is it to focus on that with mindfulness and with sensitivity? aware of the resonances, um, the emotions, aware of the body and what stirs for me in resonance with that. Is it possible to dialogue? Might John Coltrane have something to say to me? And he does. He has. Uh, or, or whoever. So one can do this spontaneously, they just arrive, or more deliberately. It might be one had a dream that feels pregnant or charged or, or, or moves one and then there's a character in that dream that one brings deliberately back into the meditation and, and, and meditates on this character and perhaps dialogue. So there's relationship and resonance. Maybe one can just look and uh, behold, feel this character and feel what that stirs inside. Maybe one gets a sense of how they are seeing me. So not just how I'm seeing them and what I feel, but how do they behold me? What, 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 what is the, the, 
the tone of their sight. How are they looking at me? And oftentimes there is love there, and you can feel this character is looking at me with love. And it's a particular kind of love, flavor unique to them. I could even enter into this character, enter into their body and their experience and look at the world through their eyes and feel what that feels like to almost become this character. All, all of this in, in meditation. Um, I will say one thing about, so there's, there's actually many possibilities, but um, what I found, and I, th- I almost want to universalize it, I have a sense that it's universal, is um, when we are upset, when there's emotional upset, there's enough energy in that emotional upset to give birth to an image. So if something you feel not loud, something you can't settle the mind, trying to concentrate, it's not working, something's going on. There's often enough in that, in that uh, vortex, if you like, that enough energy to, to give rise to constellate an image. On the other side of the spectrum, when there's really a lot of settledness of mind, what we call samadhi, some of you know that word, when, when the energies and the mind can really unify and deepen and everything very settled and aligned, harmonious. When that's the case, also it becomes easier to give rise to, to images and to work with images. It's the middle ground that's a little bit tricky. Um, when we're neither particularly upset nor particularly deep in the meditation. And, and then, again, I'm not sure, but I'm tempted to say, I think this is ge- the general, generality, that that's a little bit more difficult to, um, to, to contact and to work with images. But one could still do it deliberately, actually. Okay, I think I'm gonna stop there, actually, for now. Um, and pick up again uh, this afternoon. Uh, let's see. Why don't we do a meditation? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.